Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Today I interviewed Mark Said, CEO of MKS Group for the Offshore Accountant Podcast. A niche accounting firm for franchise and bookkeeping clientele, Mark has grown both his offshore and local teams over the last five years. One of his strengths is understanding the importance of anticipating and building capacity the right way. So if you're keen to build your global team, don't miss out on Mark's in-depth experience. Listen now. I'm Mark Said from MKS Group and you're listening to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. So, Mark, give, give us an overview of your team structure, both locally, offshore, and a little bit about your business, MKS Group. Sure. Um, so, my role is the CEO of MKS Group, and I've got 12 local team members and 11 offshore team members in our local office. Um, I've got a business manager and a very senior accountant and some other senior accountants and admin team, and all of the accountants in our onshore team are client-facing only. Um, there's no one hidden away in the cupboard. There's no number crunches, no grinders. They're basically the finders and the minders that help um, our clients grow their businesses. Our offshore team, uh, there's 11 of them, one admin person who helps us with all of our um, workflow, uh, doing all of our weekly reports and making sure that our uh, offshore team have plenty of work to do. We feed the work into a funnel and they take from the funnel and get the work done apart from their daily tasks. So it's a, quite a dynamic uh, team and the structure works in that you have your onshore team uh, in Melbourne doing all the client-facing work and the offshore team doing all the processing and the reviewing. Excellent. So you're obviously based at Mooney Ponds in Melbourne. So does your accounting firm have a niche that you focus on or are you more of a generalist firm? Um, a little bit of both. Over the last few years, we've developed a niche in franchising. So we've got quite a number of franchise clients that we do a lot of bookkeeping for. So it's bookkeeping, accounting, and um, a lot of mentoring as well. So the niche sort of um, happened by accident. Um, we got a new client oh, about seven years ago, which or six years ago, which was in the franchising space. And now we've sort of become a bit of a specialist in franchising and um, picking up a lot of new clients in the franchising space. But we also do non-franchise work and we've got our you know, quite a large client base in you know, small to medium-sized businesses as well. Excellent. So, Mark, you're obviously our second client ever for the Outsourced Accountant. So, tell us a little bit about your story of setting up your offshore team. What were the motivations behind doing this, obviously, versus the other priorities that um, owners of firms have on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's sort of, um, it's been a long journey and it's, a, it's an evolving journey. So, it's not something that you just set and forget. Um, we started up a bookkeeping division um, which was originally our sort of focus for getting the offshore team set up. And it was when we first took on sort of a large number of bookkeeping clients that we found the need to 
be able to get work done a lot more efficiently and low cost. Um, we found that when we were pricing up jobs with our local charge-out rates, you know, your traditional charter firm charge-out rates, you know, your juniors, seniors and partners and trying to cost out who's going to be doing the bookkeeping work, etc. That was becoming very, very cost prohibitive for a lot of clients. And we thought, well, we need to start looking at how we can get this done a little bit differently. And we explored the opportunity of doing offshoring. So we started off um, testing the market and this was before TOA where we had one accountant was also based in the Philippines and we trained her up and she was doing a wonderful job looking after a group of clients and doing daily tasks and that um, particular person then decided to go AWOL, abandoned the position and were forced to go and look for another alternative, which we did, and that didn't work either. Um, it wasn't a very well organised uh, company. Then stumbled across um, Nick Sinclair at the outsourced accountant or my cloud staff, I think it was called back then. My cloud people, I can't remember which one. But, um, <laughs> it's the outsourced accountant now, and we've been like our client number two, which is um, a bit of a bugger. We beat or Jamie John beat me to it, and he became client number one. Um, but client number two is still good, and it's been um, absolutely magnificent since day one. We were able to get a whole bookkeeping team set up in a very short period of time. It's awesome. Excellent. And that leads me on to the next question. How did you go about getting set up? How did you go about obviously finding us as a partner, um, recruiting, onboarding? What was the process and how long did it take to get your team up and running? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, well, we were set up and ready to roll in 30 days of making our decision. And I think you remember, Nick, I came down and met with you on the Gold Coast back down in yes. Helensvale. And from there on, there was probably 30 days that we were up and running. And we basically needed some people to get started straight away. And we started from scratch with TOA. We didn't bring over any people from anywhere else. Um, we used our experience that we already knew about uh, from other offshoring companies, and we wanted to make sure that we didn't experience the same problems again. And that was like having one person. And having one team member was very, very difficult and the wrong decision because that meant that if somebody abandoned the job, which they did, we were left high and dry with no one there to help us. So I'm going to say this now, and I'll probably say it again later on, that you definitely don't go with one person. You've got to start off with at least two. Your first team members should should be plural. You should have two people to start off with, not one. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mark, with that one. So for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to move as quickly as possible? Um, what would be the three most critical things you would spend time on? First, you've got to make sure that you've got a plan to create capacity. So you don't want to go taking on people uh, and not have work for them. And you also don't want to have an overload of work for anybody as well. You have to remember that you all you're doing is you're employing a new person or two new people, and these guys are going to need training. So don't think that from day one, that the new recruits are going to be 100% productive. You need to invest some time in training them. So you've got to make sure that your local team have got capacity to do the training. Yeah, you'll get more out of your recruits when you invest time in them. And obviously, this is nothing new. Um, you really need to make sure that these guys have 
the proper training on your systems so that they do the work the way you want it done. Secondly, I think you really need to make sure that you've got enough work to push out to them and work that's going to be suppose, simple for them to take on and get started and working through your systems. But more importantly than that, follow the process that TOA give you. They've got the process refined. And once you've made that decision to hire, follow their process with the staff selection, the interview process and the induction. That's the important part. Um, in our previous experience, we didn't have that luxury. We basically were given a number of resumes. We looked at them. We thought this was a good one. We hired and then the, left, the rest was left up to us. Now we've got a process that we follow. We get resumes. We screen them. We interview them, they get put through the induction process, and then the new recruit is ready to go and becomes au okay fait with the TOA environment. And finally, if you haven't put your software into the cloud yet, you've got to do that. If you're a cloud-based firm, you're going to get a lot more efficiency out of your team, and it's going to, that's going to help you in making sure that you get a lot more out of your um, workflow and that the workflow continues to happen. And if you're on cloud, you're not flicking files around, you're not dealing with the wrong files, you're not putting you know, old MyOb files over the net for people to download and upload. Um, having everything cloud-based will make sure that everything is working beautifully. And don't think that remote desktop is cloud, because it's not. Um, remote desktop is very, very, very reliant upon two sets of internet working properly, not just the one. Yeah, couldn't agree more, Mark. Um, you know, the, the clients that are 100% cloud, it's a whole lot easier. But, you know, in the other side of it too, is if you're not in the cloud, then you're, your new offshore teams are a great enabler to be able to move to the cloud by doing a lot of that heavy yeah. lifting work that you won't yeah, have time exactly to do. Right. Right. So, Mark, if you had one word or phrase to describe the value your offshore team provides, what would it be? Oh, well, that's an interesting one. Um, one word would be basically value. I think value right. because you're getting, um, you know, you've got to think the the offshore team that you're hiring, they're they're trained accountants. Now, debits and credits are the same in any country in this world that we live in. Um, you know, a debit here is a, a debit in the Philippines as well. A credit here is a credit in the Philippines as well. So they, they are accountants. They're qualified accountants. They a lot of them actually study the accounting Australian accounting system as well. So you. You've got the, when I say the word value, I mean, you're getting value for money because these guys are head down, bum up. They're not distracted by um, social media and mobile phones and clients ringing them and all the rest of it. They All they do is you give them a task and they get the job done. And the work, uh, we, we, when you're focusing on um, driving down time and driving up dollars, well, the same applies to your offshore team. You can work with them and train them properly to drive down time and drive up dollars and that equates to you know profit and value back to your own onshore business. Excellent. Now Mark, I know your um your productivity with your offshore team is quite high. What what productivity rates are you running your team at over there? Um Productivity can vary, um, depends on, it's, it's very seasonal, but we pretty much um, hover around the 80 to 95% productivity. 
Yeah, that's brilliant. And I think the thing that's interesting out of that point, Mark, is that obviously um, we are big promoters of work-life balance over in the office in the Philippines. So they are only literally there from nine till six with an hour lunch break. So those productivity rates are not due to extending hours. They're, they're literally done within those hours, which is which is fantastic. Sorry, I was going to say, I've been over in the Philippines and, you know, at, at knockoff, they all start at their start time and at knockoff time, it's like a stampede running out the door and um, they've only got the X amount of hours that they work in. They get their full lunch break and they've got a great work-life balance. Yeah, if only a few accountants in Australia follow those same um, those same rules with their, with their yeah, local exactly. teams. <laughs> now, perceptions of offshoring, what are the main things that you've heard? Obviously, you've been on this journey for, for over four and a half years now, but what surprised you the most? Um, when you're talking to people, their, their perceptions are always around that um, offshoring is you know, a bit like those annoying call centres that you get when you know, Telstra and other companies you know, bombard you with phone calls, etc. I've also heard people say that they wouldn't offshore because of the risk of fraud. Um, so that's another perception or a fallacy. And both of them are totally off the mark. Your offshore team... Um, well, mine in particular, won't communicate with your clients unless you tell them to do so. We've got some clients that want to deal with our offshore team because it's going to save them using our local person as a middleman. So we let them loose. And I've had my offshore team, some of my team members here in Melbourne or in Mooney Ponds, and clients have actually come in and met them. So you, you sort of humanize the um, the whole process as well. And we've found that to be really, really good. And that sort of eliminates the perception that they're you know, an annoying um, call centre operator or um, you know, someone who is bugging you all the time. And secondly, the risk of fraud is, is non-event. It's, look, if there's enough, there's enough security in place to make sure that your data and all your client data is kept safe and secure. And what has surprised me the most is that the perception that the offshore team can't do what the local team do. So we've, you know, we've knocked on the head all of those perceptions. A, they're not annoying unless you want them to be, and I'm sure you don't want them to be. Secondly, the risk of fraud is eliminated because of all the security that's in place, not only with the lockdown of the um, logins, et cetera, which you know, we'll probably talk about later on. Um, and thirdly, the, on, you know, the offshore team can do exactly what our local team do. So they're the three main things that I've been hearing around the traps. Excellent. So, Mark, the year ahead, what is your plan for your offshore team and how do you plan to keep growing your team, their capacity and their performance? Well, as our business grows, our local team tends to grow, followed by our offshore team. So if we take on a new business or a group of clients, our local team work with them and nurture them to make sure that we keep in regular contact with them and... That's how we grow more work from our clients. Unless you talk to them, you're not going to get any work out of them. If you ignore them, you know, they're not going to know what you're capable of doing and um, it's all about communication. And what this does, by bringing in more work locally, this leads to more work for the offshore team. So we're working towards having a team of around um, our offshore team looking after around 20 bookkeeping clients each. And if I can get them looking after, you know, 23 each, I'll be extremely happy. So over the next year or so, we plan on growing our local business and we will probably need to hire maybe two or three more local accountants to bring our team here up to about 15. And offshore, um, once we get to that efficiency number of around 20 bookkeeping clients each, well, that team will need to grow as well. 
It's been a fascinating journey watching your team grow both in Melbourne and obviously your offshore team growing as well. So you're certainly one of um, a few accountants that are really nailing this offshore strategy. So Mark, recommendations for listeners. What are some of the top things that you would recommend they do in managing an offshore team? Well, first up, as I said earlier, don't just hire one person. You've got to start off with two. Then you can hire in ones. That's fine. Um, but start off with a team of two. It's, um, it's critical. Secondly, keep in regular contact with them and don't treat them any differently to your local team. If you get out, yeah, you get out of them what you put into them. So the more time you invest in training the team, the better your efficiency is going to be. Finally, don't be afraid to go and visit them and do some face-to-face training. We do it probably three or four times a year, and we've also brought a few of our team out to Moody Ponds to meet our local team and some clients as well, as I sort of mentioned earlier. And once we had the, after we had the team out here, uh, we found that communication between our other accountants that may not necessarily deal with the offshore team on a daily basis, that just skyrocketed. And we found you know, it wouldn't be unusual to walk over to someone's desk and you hear them on a Skype call with the with the off with somebody in the Philippines and having a conversation about, you know, what they did over the weekend and, you know, very very social conversation and then get right into handing over a job to them. So it's it'd be no different to having an office in um you know, say in our case, if we had an office in Sydney or in Adelaide, you know, we'd be over there visiting them and uh, probably doing some training or they'd come here. So having a team in the Philippines is no different to that. They're still humans. You still need to communicate with them. They still need training. Uh, you still need to involve them in your team meetings. So communication is very, very important. Yeah, look, that's great advice, Mark. I think one of the biggest, um, I suppose, mindset changes for people when they start going down the offshoring um, track is around it's not just sending work to an offshore worker. They're actually part of your team and building that culture, the communication rhythm. I mean, you said it before, you wouldn't set up another office in another location and never go there. So it's really, it is a long-term strategy in building your culture building in a communication rhythm, building in a visitation rhythm for them to come to Australia potentially or US um, and for you going over to the Philippines. I know that you certainly go over there regularly, which is why your offshore team's um, growth is succeeding and why you've got, you know, high amount of engagement with your team, low turnover, um, all of those things are factor in that, that a lot of people initially when they're going down this process just think about, oh, we'll send work over to someone. But you know, the more you can build them into your own team, obviously, the more value um, you're going to get from from having yeah. another office, and it's just sitting exactly in the right. Philippines. It's not a um, it's not a sausage factory. It's a it's a production line, yes, um, but it's no different to your production line happening locally. So it's it's all about communication. Yeah, brilliant advice. Now, Mark. KPIs and metrics, always an interesting question when I ask this to um, accountants. What KPIs do you use to measure the success of your offshore team? Well, being accountants, obviously, we're always looking at numbers. Um, So on a weekly basis, we measure their productivity and we do compare it to our local team. Now, we don't expect them to be identical because we've got our guys here do a lot of client nurturing as well. So we find that... um, we, we only expect a lower productivity from our local team, but on our offshore team, given that they the accountants don't do any administration work, we've got an admin person there to do that, their job is purely chargeable work. So we 
pretty much demand a productivity of no less than 80%. Um, but we do get up as high as, a, we've, we've had as high as 89, or no, sorry, 98% um, has been our highest ever. Um, we look at job production as well. So we look at the number of jobs. We found that rather than just focusing on productivity, we've also got to focus on an output. And the output is something that we can all get involved in. So we have um, number of jobs out per week that we measure. And one job is considered a client group. So if you've got a client you know, with a trust and two individuals or four individuals, whatever it is, that's one group and that's one job. So we we measure them on number of jobs, not just the offshore team, but the local team as well. So we're all working to the same targets and we all get rewarded you know, if we exceed our targets on a weekly or a monthly basis. So they're the main two is productivity and um, jobs completed. Yeah, that's excellent. And it's always interesting when I ask accountants how they gauge success within their firm, um, just even with their local teams on a daily, um, weekly and monthly basis. And a lot of accounting firms just don't have this KPI part measured. Um, but again, having some clear numbers with your offshore team, they love um, accountability. They love to obviously chase um, a number and know what success means. So having those very, very clearly defined like you do is, is a great thing. Now, Mark, having an offshore team, has it given your local team any more time um, or less hours required in the office? Now, this is a big one for me. Um, you know, I'm always venturing on around, you know, more work-life balance. And I think accountants have this completely out of whack due to the way that the industry has always been. But has offshoring given you and your local team more time or less hours required in the office? Yeah, that's always a hard question to answer. Um, Given that the local team have got more time, this extra time that they've got is generally spent doing either high-level work like valuations, due diligence, or simply going out and visiting clients. So um, we've now got a new a new metric within our office that every accountant must communicate with clients, at least three clients every day, and must visit five clients every week. So three phone calls a day to a client and five client visits in a week. So that can be one a day, can be two one day, three the next, it doesn't matter. I know they've all still got local work that they need to do as well. Um, but the extra time, so they've all got to work there eight hours a day, or seven and a half hours a day, whatever it is. So they are doing that. And Nobody in my office is working extremely long hours. Um, some may come in on weekends because they want to get a job done to you know, take a bit more time off during the week. So it's given us the ability to become a lot more flexible. And Nick, as you correctly put it, you need to have a work-life balance. So I suppose the answer to your question is yes. Um, they are spending less time in the office and spending a bit more time out of the office. And people enjoy that. They like getting out of comfort zone and getting you know getting out and immersed into the client's business and we've got clients all over Australia so you know it's not a, not unusual for myself or any of my team members to be you know spending time at an airport jumping on a plane and going visiting clients I think the bottom line is we've got more time up our sleeves 
And look, that's fantastic. I mean, I put out a tweet um, online during our roadshow last week around accountants um, when I asked the question of, you know, how often do they ring their clients just without any motivation other than to say hi or go and visit them? You know, I got some really frosty replies on Twitter, you know, well, my doctor doesn't ring me, so I better change doctors. But what I was trying to talk about is obviously exactly what you're doing, Mark, because I'm seeing really proactive firms that are really engaging with their clients. And then I'm seeing a large amount of accountants that are just too busy to even bigger bother picking up the phone to ring them to say hi how's business so yeah, look you know yeah, exactly. well done on on being able to be proactive and and obviously that's why you're growing so much and you're and you not only growing new clients but existing clients and, and everything else that your firm's doing yeah. so mark this is a bit of a tricky question has offshoring increased your average hourly rate and business profit okay um good question very good question. Uh, we've always struggled with average hourly rate and it's not, um, and I know we're not alone. A lot of our peers that we talk to on a regular basis have also struggled with average hourly rate. But what I will say is that um, having an offshore team, don't expect that you wave a magic wand and all of a sudden you're making a lot of profit. What, what you're doing is you're future-proofing your business and if you do it properly, you'll reap the rewards you know, within a short to medium term. The average hourly rate will take a bit of time to increase and you'll find that profitability follows. Now, what I mean by that is that you've got to invest time in training your team. Once you train them, you start to gain the efficiencies. And if you're cloud-based, year one, you're probably not going to make a huge, you're not going to see a huge increase in your profit. But year two, you'll find that the amount of time to do the same job will decrease, which means that you're probably still, well, hopefully you're still charging your client the same, if not more, um, than the previous year. And because you're spending less time on it, the profitability on a job will increase, and that means your average hourly rate has increased. But you've also got to make sure that you work within capacity and always have enough capacity to take on additional amounts of work. So it's not unusual for one of our offshore team to ring us and say, hey, listen, uh, we've run out of work. Can you send some over? So we will. We'll create some work and send it to them. Uh, and that basically means that they've got capacity. So over a period of time, your capacity will grow and you'll fill it. And then you'll find you'll need to recruit more people because you'll see how efficiently it actually gets done on a job by job basis yes you will see an increase in profitability and we've definitely seen that happening and it's taken us it probably took us a good two years to see the results yeah so I was gonna say, Sorry, profitability you... never decreased it it always either stayed the same or increased at a slow rate but after year two it just took off yeah, and I think that's where a lot of people need to. I mean, offshoring is not, I mean, it, a byproduct is you will make more money because of obviously the lower cost. But what it really is solving for a lot of firms is the capacity challenge um, and to be able to do that by adding more people at a cost effective way. And then obviously, as the years go, then profitability does start to to grow and it grows at a rapid rate, as you've obviously said. Yep. So Mark, we're going to move on to some advice for the a local community, the accounting community mm -hmm. that listens to this podcast. So what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business context? Oh, my younger self. God, it's got to go back a long time. Um, something for my younger self is to, um, I suppose, help the business make sure that you keep 100% up to date with the latest efficiency tools. 
Uh, we've got so many tools available to us at the moment. We've got Zero, Receipt Bank, um, and without these, you're not going to be making a decent profit. So, to my younger self, keep up to date with the latest tools. Great advice, and you're not that young anyway, Mark. I mean, not That's that right. old. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that both ways. Yes. Now, I know this year's a big year for you on a personal note. So what's one bit of advice you would give your younger self from a personal um, point of view? Um, late last year, I decided, well, I actually got my, um, my badge from the Institute of Chartered Accountants for my 25-year membership. And I'm thinking to myself, bloody hell, that's, that's almost um, half my life and a, it's a quarter, you know, quarter of a century. So I declared 2018 as the year of Mark and I'm devoting that to personal development. I'm on a journey to do a lot more learning and also having fun while I do it. So it's already starting to shine on my business because the personal development also leads to business development. So um, I want to just keep, keep up the learning and I don't want to fall behind. So I've made this year, the year of learning. So the year of Mark, what um, what does that learning look like? Do you want to just tell our listeners a little bit about what you are doing for the year of Mark? Sure. So last year I um, attended a uh, an event in Amsterdam, which was um, Business Mastery, Business Mastery Two or BM Two, and it's part of the Tony Robbins um, series of events. And I was actually blown over by that. And that was, that was supposed to be a one-off. I was going to do business mastery, come back and apply those tools to my business. But while I was there, I um, stumbled across a program that they offered, which is you know 12 months of platinum partnership. And you can get yourself immersed into um, all the events that Tony Robbins runs around the world. And I took it up. And my first event for 2018 was only a couple of weeks ago. We were in Sun Valley in the USA, and that was Platinum Partnership Finance event. So we had some fantastic speakers, and I said earlier that I want to put a bit of fun into it as well. This event was exactly that. We got to go skiing in the US every morning for a couple of hours and then endured um, you know, 10 to 12 hours after that of you know, learning. And it was all about uh, finance and business and profitability and investments. So that was number one for 2018, and the next one is um, Life and Wealth Mastery, which I'll be doing in Fiji in April this year. And then there's probably one event every month for the rest of the year, which um, the, and the events, some of them we might, might repeat each other. You might do it more than once, but it's, it's all about immersion and getting the most out of it. Yeah, look, I'm a big advocate of personal learning. I've been part of a group called Entrepreneurs Organisation, as many listeners know, for a long time. And I'm currently the, the learning um, representative for Asia Pacific. And I just think that it's fascinating. If you're not learning, you're not growing. Um, and I'm Correct. a big advocate of the year of Mark. And I think that the flow and effect to your business will, will be significant because a lot of these things that you're learning, I'm sure, and I'm already starting to see some of them being rolled out with both your local and your offshore team. So the year of Mark is a big year and um, I'll be standing there watching. <laughs> yeah, stay now, tuned. Yes. Now, Mark, there's obviously a lot of myths and objections um, around offshoring and having an offshore team. So what's the biggest myth or objection that you've heard about having an offshore team and is it true? 
Okay, so the biggest one is that you're taking jobs away from local people. And um, I don't believe that is the case. And any of my peers also agree that it's not the case. So the more your business grows locally, the more you're going to need local people to look after and nurture those clients. There's only so many hours in a day and there's only so many clients that your local team can look after. So as your team grows locally, your offshore team will grow as well. Now, unless you are able to offer a low-cost alternative to your clients by having an offshore team, you're not going to be able to grow your business. So if you can't grow your business, how are you going to grow your local team and how are you going to employ local people? You can't. You've got to grow your business and be able to maintain pricing to an affordable level for your clients. That will result in more jobs for your local team and employ more people and will have a flow and effect on your offshore team as well. So yes, while you might be moving some work offshore, um, unless you offer that, you're not going to have the clients to be able to grow your local team. So that myth of moving jobs away is a non-event. Yeah, look, I couldn't agree more. I mean, 99% of our clients are growing both locally as well as their offshore team. And it's the dynamic of roles that are changing locally. Um, and they're looking at attracting different types of people locally than they would have in the past. Absolutely. So look, Mark, for someone looking to grow their business or their team overall, what is the best piece of advice that you've heard and implemented to pass on? Um, a good marketing strategy. So unless you've got a good marketing strategy, you're not going to be able to grow your business. You you really need that um, for your local team to grow. And the good thing about marketing is that you can turn it on and you can turn it off. If your marketing is working really, really well, you'll grow your business. If you're growing at a rate that you can't keep up with, turn it off for a while and then turn it back on again. And I think you'll struggle to find a growing accountant or growing firm that's doing marketing that doesn't turn their marketing on and off um, as they need it. So marketing is one thing. That's one thing I've been learning about for the last couple of years and focusing a lot on. And I also teach it to my clients. So accounting is not just numbers and number crunching anymore. It's expanded beyond that. So if you're looking at growing your team, you've got to know a bit about marketing. Couldn't agree more. So we're going to finish off today, quick five questions. So what yep. cloud accounting software does your firm use? We don't have any local software anymore, nothing on our servers. So we use um, our main one is Zero and Zero Practice Manager coupled with Receipt Bank uh, for our account payable processing. And we use Spotlight Reporting and Panalytics. They're our analytical tools. And what else we use? We use Skype for Business, Office 365, and Help Scout as our um, job allocation tool. So Help Scout helps us um, allocating jobs locally and offshore. Excellent. Now, what's your favorite app, either on your mobile phone, your computer, your, your iPad? What's your favorite app that you use all the time? Jeez, oh, favorite. I've got lots of them. Uh, the one that controls all the lighting in my house, so I can turn them all on and off when turn off lights when the kids leave them all on. Um, that's probably my <laughs> most used app. <laughs> yeah. uh, on a business on a business tool, I reckon Zero. So I can use Zero. I can keep an eye on my numbers and my um, even my clients' files on my phone, and 
given that I'm traveling a lot, I find um, I'm using my mobile phone more than anything else. So I'd say Zero is my favorite app. Excellent. Now, what is your must-read each week in the accounting space? Accountants Daily. I read that. Um, it's I could look at that daily, so it's an online uh, daily report, and yeah, love it. It's a really, yeah, really good um, tool. Favorite social media channel? Which one and why? Which one and why? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say Facebook. Um, I love Facebook, not only from a business perspective, but also from a personal perspective. Um, from a business side of it, it's becoming more and more popular and it's becoming to be a really, really good business tool. So social media, yeah, Facebook, probably followed by LinkedIn. Excellent. And your favourite KPI or number in your business? New clients, number of new clients put on this week. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time today, Mark. My pleasure. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.